Straight Jack, episode 10. This week... <laughs> no. <laughs> you got stuck on this week. This is a bi-weekly podcast where we will discuss three films, one new release, one released since the year 2000, and one released pre the year 2000. This week, the new release is Notes on Blindness, and with the theme of impairment. And the choice of the new release this week was James. So Notes on Blindness, yes, indeed, which tells the story of um, Professor of Theology, John Hull, um, who back in uh, sort of the mid-1980s began to go blind. And, and this basically chronicles the descent into absolute blindness and, and the story that, uh, that that he shares with us via his cassette tapes, his, his audio recordings that he does. As soon as he starts going blind, he starts recording his, yeah, his descent into absolute blindness. How did you get on with it, Robbie? So first of all, I think we need to address the interesting kind of... Lip syncing. Yeah, the reverse ADR is how I phrased it earlier reverse to Ian. Reverse ADR, interesting. Yeah, so it's it's all created based on these these tape recordings, as James said, to which they've got actors to kind of lip sync along to. Yeah. I found it really interesting, and after the first 10 minutes, once you get used to it, you completely forget that it's going on. You then start to, well, for me, I found that I was just falling into this kind of, I'm watching a story play out. It is a great, te- and you do think, certainly recently, quite a few documentaries have sort of, you've had like the act of killing that physically played out yeah. some surreal discussions. You had The Imposter, a little bit different. Because quite recently. The Imposter was the one that, compared to this, it's also yeah. fairly, not the same technique, but with how sort of dramatised, and I don't think I've ever seen, there are a few documentaries that are as, as, much, of, as much a thriller as mm. they are a documentary as. <laughs> sort of the imposter but no. yeah it, it felt like I was watching a drama rather than a documentary at, at first it was because it's the, the special needs guy with the plastic bag isn't it Angelos the comedian yeah. he looks is it, is it actually him it's, it is him right yeah. okay and I, I th- that threw me at first because uh, you do you sort of I, I saw that or I knew that to be fair I'm not sure I would have recognised if I didn't already know mm. but you see that and it's a bit of a you always forget a bit like you know when you see Sasha Baron Cohen normally you think yeah. is that him <laughs> is that really yeah. <laughs> and so in this I mean by the end of it I mean I was completely captivated by him and I thought considering you know he's not really using his own voice and he can only really act physically rather than offer any sort of emotional depth in the way he delivers a, his dialogue or whatever but yeah I was pleasantly surprised by him he had a real this sounds really weird but you know he had a real warm feel to him like the way he acted he just he just seemed to embody John Hull not that I even knew the guy but yeah but I think that has as much to do with the tape recordings themselves they felt so close and intimate the way that they were done he's got a great voice <laughs> as does, well I mean really it, it wouldn't help if you had like Joe Pasquale on the line <laughs> yeah. but it's, like, because he's got such a nice voice it, it does it does certainly help I wholeheartedly agree like you don't I mean to be fair a lot of it it is a very as much as you thought oh it's documentary it's very visual and there there is obviously quite a few scenes where you do have little glimmers of acting but He's not required to do sort of too much, but just enough t- to keep reaffirming this is a real person. Mm. You do see his face and you go, oh, this is this is actually happening. It is a documentary. But then you just, the way the film sort of meanders from scenes that are sort of, uh, sort of recreated along with there's a great use of sort of rain and water throughout. Oh, it, man, yeah. it creates, there are a few scenes in particular that are just, they're so sensory and they're trying to really put you in because there was a there was quite a, I think it was it was a Scandinavian film released about a year ago called Blind 
it was like uh, very in through various art house sort of like techniques it did try to sort of put you in the head of someone who's blind and it it achieved that to an extent in certain scenes it was it was very good at that but it wasn't a overall it wasn't a fantastic film but this I'd say overall achieved that sort of feeling perhaps more so through the very personal and intimate uh, nature of the tapes but yeah I thought this was uh, fantastic I think that, that it was that kind of 50-50 split, wasn't it, between the, the recreations and the... I kind of felt quite malic about it. and The cornfields no and the nature. And yeah, <laughs> and it was just, there was a lot of kind of symbolism and imagery with eyes, lots of spheri- like circles. Yeah. It just worked really well. There was not too much of one. The only thing that I would say, that scene that you talk about with the rain, I felt like it really would have benefited from just being black for a bit because it was so strong in terms of the sound design sound design was throughout was fantastic I I wanted to just kind of close (laughs) my eyes for a bit and just feel it and kind of be him just for just for a couple of moments I I totally agree that there were yeah certain bits where I think where where the screen is black briefly I did find myself sort of shutting my eyes go oh is this what they're trying to do are they trying to do a I think best example of that recently was in Her the Spike Jones when Mm. They first sort of go to bed and it's, the screen is black and for a sort of mainstream film, you're like, what, what's going on? And you just hear Scarlett Johansson's voice. And I think that that worked fantastically in that film. And it could have even, like you say, it could have been used a little bit more in this. But still, I think for, for they first time feature directors, it was co-directed, wasn't it? I mm-hmm. think they'd only done feature wise. Well, they'd just done a couple of shorts that were versions of this. I was going to say, Just yeah. that started out small and obviously for whatever reason kept expanding it calling cards and then yeah I think it's it doesn't feel like a first film it feels like people that have been doing to, or at least toying around with this format for sort of quite some time but I think for me this film and and maybe not just this film but documentaries in general this is why in in some ways they have they're so much more powerful than a fictional film or, or a fictional telling of a, of a true story may well um sort of why in some ways it can be superior because it just tells his story without any manipulation emotional manipulation without any fictionalization of certain parts of his life or whatever and you get it from his point of view now we'll talk about some of the other films where sort of there is always a able-bodied person that you te- that you experience the story through it's not about the disabled person it's about it's always we we have some sort of conduit that gets us the audience into the disabled person's life via an able-bodied person and that's the thing that documentary can do it tells you a story without needing to try and create a story i suppose or trying to to change a story around and i think with this it's so emotionally captivating because you know you hear his thoughts his feelings his concerns fears anxieties of of slowly going blind i think that's almost the worst thing about it in a way he sort of almost if you've been given like a terminal illness like you know it's coming but so it's, it's in a way it's worse if it just happened immediately then maybe you're you're free of all the anxiety around it happening and you can you can quickly try and get over it whereas in this you you get to hear that period before he goes totally blind you get to hear everything that he's going through um and then you think oh that i mean that's that's emotionally grueling and then you have this really interesting bit where he actually talks about how he, it was more positive and he says you know actually I was occupied my, my mind was completely occupied by this and, and, and he almost was, was thankful of that that he could he could be occupied albeit you know something terrible but he, he was able to keep adapting and that's what kept his mind occupied I mean he's a the- theologist isn't he at the end of the day so he's always going to be a, a relatively deep 
deep thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you think about what a theologist, from what my understanding of what a theologist does, you know, they, they read books and if you're blind, you're going to struggle to read. It's almost like a writer sort of losing their hands kind of thing. You think this is such a big thing for him to have to go through. And the way he went, oh, you're, how do uh, blind people read contemporary books on theology? They don't. Okay, it's the mid-80s. Let's, yeah. let's change that. And that was... And that, yeah, back to your back to your point about because he'd seen the birth of his first two children and then started to go. And it's just that there was one scene in particular where a child is uh, has hurt themselves, and yeah, it's the yeah. first time. And there's a great, great line where he says, uh, "You should never." One of the toughest things to to know that you are useless or to know mm. that you're unable to help your your crying child. It's just that sort of weakness and that it's very very well done there's some incredible moments of that are just in, so profound in terms of emotion and in terms of just sadness and, and almost pity that he, he obviously went through something that I'm lucky enough and I don't know anyone in my life really that has gone through something like that but you yeah you talk that moment where you know his kids hurt and he's completely helpless and Christmas and hmm. he says like he can't remember what his wife looks like now because it's sort of the memories just dim and they and they fade and you think that must just be such a horrible experience to have where you just can't remember what things look no. like there's a lovely lovely sort of well I think the final line really the final couple of lines it's sort of that and it's not a spoiler you know, it's a documentary at the end of the day but there's sort of that that as he moves towards acceptance and it, you do go through this a journey you, you go through this sort of this change curve with him of sort of denial of, of adapting and then acceptance and you just think it's it's amazing I mean it's, it's so you, you almost feel proud of him by the end of it you know that he and his family got through it but you do think we only saw an hour and a half of what he went through, which was 32 years of this. It must and you be think, hours of tapes. Yes, yeah, and can you imagine what, what, what some of the horrible stuff that we didn't get to see? What else has he had to endure? Yeah, and I think maybe that's a little bit of a negative for me. There was nothing too hard-hitting about it. There were cases where, like, when he couldn't help his child and you really kind of yearn for him and you sympathise with him but I'm sure he must have broken down quite a few times and yeah, absolutely no, been absolutely. fed up and I would have just quite liked to, to hear that side of things the, frustration, the, the angry yeah. that, the he, anger, that exactly. he must have had yeah. there, there is one moment when when he talks about how you know every single time he wakes up he loses his sight again because he can dream and his dreams are so vivid mm. and then it's only when he wakes up that all of a sudden he can't see again you thought oh my god what a life I mean, <laughs> how is he just be able to isn't I mean, there I'm an sure image of his work, boy but, and he's yeah. sort of like oh I've because the, the, I think he had went on to have five children but yeah. obviously I think at least two or three of them he would never have ever seen yeah. That and that's that's such an interesting concept that dreams as so often is projected in the film that that's the best thing he's got to live for is when he's asleep and he's not conscious and able to actively take part and, you know, be part of his life. It'd be quite interesting to do a similar, not that it's, a, you know, manipulating people, you know, exploiting people who have gone through these sorts of traumas, but you think almost you could do a, a notes on, on deafness and yeah. you could just have basically a Terence Malick film of, yeah. uh, of just <laughs> images and... But I, I think that's what this did so well. It, it, without, it's an insight. Yeah. You pretty much could listen to it as a podcast. Yeah. And you could get Soundtrack, a level yeah. of it. But then, yeah, watch visually. It, it did have a lot to offer as well, which I think it does make this a pretty complete package. Yeah. Like it's, it's got a, an awful lot going for it, I think. That's the irony of it all, though, isn't it? I mean, for a film about blindness, it is visually, visually stunning. Yeah. <laughs> you always feel guilty because you're saying, John, mate, you could have seen this. This is what a film this is. It's about yeah. you. 
being blind. Yeah. <laughs> I think unsung hero, his wife as well, because you do get a sense of what she's going through. I think at one point she says, completely giving up the best lines away, yeah. she says, like, uh, do I scratch my eyes out and join him? Because mm. she just wants to know how Solidarity, it is. Just, yeah. She just could almost do yeah. another film with her. Yeah. Because you're right, because then you could also, you know, with, her, with his kids as well, because it must have been bizarre for them. Maybe, maybe, particularly, you've got five kids, you've got some who have never had a dad who had sight, and then you've got a couple of them who did have a dad who once had sight but then lost it. And you think the experiences they must have had. Mm. All three films this week, as a result of their subject area, tried to create emotion yeah. surrounded, based around the difficulties that these three individuals have. But here is, it's, yeah, it's done in such a way that is, yeah, just very refreshing and very powerful. In any other, any other negatives? I mean, you've, we've tried, Robbie, but there's, there's nothing that's. Yeah. Really, only only negative, slightly more of a personal thing. My girlfriend works for the RNIB, which is the Royal National Institute for the Blind. So I thought, oh wow, I'll pick notes on blindness because apparently they yeah. consulted with RNIB. Oh wow, so I thought I'll get a few, you know, real good little insiders. Nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing. Um, and at the end of the film, so it says obviously they gave him a lifetime achievement award for. Um, the RNIB gave him a lifetime achievement award, mm. so I actually informed her of something about this because <laughs> I told her that, and so. She probably Again. went to work the next day and said, did you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the whole audience up. Thoughts? Kick us off. <laughs> uh, yeah, it leads me into my sort of final negative. <clears throat> it's a great four. But I, for, for an 82-minute film, it did at times feel long, and I think that's just because it, it kept the same level throughout. I mean, of course, there's an arc, but there's no real peaks and troughs to it. Made it feel a bit bit mundane at times, but it's a, it's a sensory delight. Yeah, I, I, I haven't really got anything else to say other than for every time sort of see like a brand new documentary and you go, oh, they can't think of a new way to do it. Just a normal subject feels so fresh and I think they've just done just done a wonderful job. Um, and yeah, for those emotional poignant moments, um, I think it's lacking something that I don't think that you could add to this sort of story or this sort of film. I don't know what you could add to make it a perfect film, but it's just it's just very good at what it does and that for me it's a it's a solid four and I think I'll for almost exactly the same reason there I'm going to give it a five because I can't think of what else it could have really done to to be any better than it was I think it was some of the faults that we've discussed I think are faults of deliberate almost faults that they've had to they're inherent within what it's trying to do in terms mm. of um, whether there are peaks and troughs whether there are ups and downs I think when you're trying to tell an authentic story like I think they've tried to I think they've portrayed it as, as as accurately as they can, and therefore they maybe they didn't want to manipulate it in the way that maybe other films or documentary documentaries might have tried to do. So for me, it's um, it's a five out of five. Obviously, it's out of five. Don't know why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we lead on to Robbie's selection, which was the uh, post two thousand film, The Intouchable. Intouchables is about. Uh, an old money aristocrat called Philippe who is looking for a new carer. He is wheelchair bound and needs someone to look after him due to him having having very limited mobility. So up steps Driss, uh, a guy who doesn't really want the job but is only there to kind of collect his job seeker's allowance mm. and is chosen purely based on the fact that he doesn't he doesn't sympathise, he doesn't feel anything for for Philippe. And the film continues on to describe their unlikely yet blossoming relationship 
<laughs> Guys, what did you think? <laughs> Ian, I can see you're bursting over there. Well, actually, as much as it absolutely pains me. Love this. Absolutely Already. pains me. My icy heart after about 25 minutes did begin to melt. <laughs> there are, I mean, it's not a, it's not a great film. Let's just start off the bat. I'm, I'm speaking like this because... I was so negative and so unsure. I was really upset you picked it. I was like, I actually have to watch it now. After all of that BS marketing uh, drove me away. But, I mean, it's it's not it's a, not a very, not a great story, just a, just a story. But this is a film that is truly brought to life by the, the leading two, and particularly, uh, I forget his name, who played Driz. Omar Sy. Omar Sy, who... I think I'd seen him before in something Jurassic World, yeah. <laughs> in a Michael Gondry film um, called Mood Indigo, where he plays quite a similar, just a very charming, charismatic guy. Um, and as much as there were there were scenes that just bring you back down to earth and make you feel like you're sideshow Bob walking into a rake, <laughs> um, it it it's so it bumbles along. It's a hundred minutes. There are plenty of laughs. It's it's all very one note. He keeps coming out, you know, this this character does work and, and does crack you up as he's so as they you've got all of this as obviously he's the only black guy in the waiting room for the job and there's a lot of this contrast and it's it's really prodding the audience and sort of going, Are you are you getting this? He's not like what the guy who should be doing this. Oh, it's so off the wall. But it is it is funny and it is endearing. And yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. It, it, it does have that contrast, doesn't it? it? It tries to incredibly on the nose about just how rich and aristocratic. This is not a subtle film. No, no, <laughs> but, it's stereotypes but, you know, to the extreme. So I think um, Driss, he's obviously got quite a few other people in his household, um, and then he's obviously told to to, to kick it. Uh, so he's obviously from quite a poor, quite a poor background. Has Beats headphones. Which I, for no, for one, are very expensive. <laughs> so, yes, they do. They do put that contrast uh, between his his rather poor life and obviously Philippe's affluence, and it is that classic. You would call it cliche, but you you know from the very first scene that they get on, and you know they're going to get on. So it's fine. You don't. There isn't really that thread and that arc where you think, oh, are they? Are they not? You know, oh, there's going to be a bit of animosity, you know, hostility between. Them. No, they're they're going to get seen on. Seen any fine. of the marketing? Yeah, <laughs> you know they're they're going to like each other. and They're going to get on, and but actually you realise, you know, that it's it's. And again, this is exactly what it's going for. But it's it's the poor guy, you know, enriching the rich person's life. You know, it's it, it's giving that rich person something that he doesn't have from all of the other sort of yes men and women that he has around him. And something that's something money can't buy. Exactly, and it's endearing. And that's what you've already said it. But Omar Sy is so charismatic. Um, but then it, you almost find that yes, it brings the audience out, and you know, you go along with him. But also Philippe, you know, he, he's a bit of a. Uh, as I say, he's an affluent guy. He's he's obviously had a, he's got this disability, and therefore he probably doesn't have a a great deal of, of fun whereas actually Omar Sy's character takes him on some journeys and gives him the fun that maybe other people didn't dare to give him or didn't think that he would want it or, or were scared about what might happen like smoking and things like that and you realise you know Omar size for everything that he's Philippe has, has got all the money in the world but actually he can't buy sort of enjoyment of, of life and, and the sort of things that people with that sort of disability can't usually do whereas Omar Sy's character you know opens it opens it up to him and I think that's what's I particularly liked about that film that relationship between the two. They have a real good back and forth. You know? They do, yeah. It's chemistry. They establish that very uh, chemistry. Perfect word. It's, that is exactly it. Just, just like uh, nice guys. When I, I heard nice the first two, I was yeah. very surprised at how well 
those two did work together mm. on the face of it I was like there's no way this and, and again on this you look at the way this was sold and the marketing for this and you sort of go oh look we're supposed to get it because they're so different and he's from this sterile background and no one's but now we've got real life we've got the real France or it's all coming coming together but I, I did feel like the, the cliches it was it was quite self-aware it knew it was being really cliche and the scenes where he smokes for the for the first time has has some weed, but then there are the scenes where Philippe's got a live orchestra for his birthday, hasn't he? And they're playing yeah. Bach and Beethoven, and Driss decides to just get up and play some Earth Wind and Fire and start dancing along, and get everyone moving, which is so so cliche, and we've seen it so many times before. And you knew what was going to happen as soon as you saw the orchestra yeah. and Felipe roll his eyes at the thought of listening to this for two hours, but it just worked for me, and yeah. my I was smiling throughout the whole thing and I think it is just because of the two of them they make it work and they kind of make you not they make you aware that it is cliche but not care that's that's I, I was quite amazed that they were able to do that someone as cynical as as myself and I was so aware going in of what the intentions wholeheartedly and that's the trick of these films to try and go okay you know we're at A we're gonna get to B you know what B is mm. But how can we do that without making everyone throw up in the cinema about how sentimental it is? And to be honest, even even though it wasn't exactly the ending I thought it was going to be, I assumed that one of them one of them would die or go to prison or there'd be something a bit more life changing. Hmm. But it it still it still ended pretty the art was there and it, yeah I think it gives you the B it gives you the end of the journey at the start really doesn't it so by by them already getting along do you not think but I think there was this arc of, of love isn't there throughout yeah, it, okay. and how Philippe you know because of his disability he not only does he clearly feel really quite self-conscious about meeting someone new especially given again they've got the, the exposition about what's happened to his, his previous sort of uh, sort of um, love life it is love life yeah um so I think it does it doesn't quite it, it does signpost it quite a lot but I think that's that's the thing that, that makes this film so good is that as you both articulated there you know it is self-aware it, it knows it's cliche but you still enjoy it so, so you, you it, it can get you over that barrier it would be quite easy to be quite cynical about this as you said Ian that you know oh they've seen that before again but actually because of the two the two leads because of the, the charisma that they, they both have and then the sort of con- uh, the subsequent chemistry that they have together that's what puts it over the line to make it as such an enjoyable film as it is you've got to give it a special sort of recognition as well from from us dare I say it you know English language individuals here because comedy is difficult to do mm. but comedy when it's not your first language and you're having to read subtitles is even harder to get across so it just shows how how much comedy comes from his and their physical acting yeah because you read it in there the way they deliver a line and the way that they physically act it rather than the line itself otherwise if you're just yes you can read all the scripts in the world and you can recognize when something's funny but it's only when you see someone acting out that really that hits home so when it's in in a foreign language it's like there's a bit of computing going on in your mind when you read it something on the screen it's it's different so i think that again for me that's why it's a four for me because it's so enjoyable and yet does something that I think a lot of British films, English language films, don't do for me. As much as, because I was so adamant, I, I, I was obviously going to give it a chance, and I'm not just going to shut it out, but yeah, I'm dubious of anything that is that popular and that came with such a tag. I mean, I don't know if you've heard the new Justin Bieber album, but I would compare it to this. 
it's you know something that big and that's so loved by all of these it can't be good it can't be good but actually it is quite enjoyable and it does and can I just confirm are you talking about the Justin Bieber the new Justin Bieber album, album okay. is incredibly enjoyable it's oh not, are you being serious I mean genuinely I serious I thought you were just making like no a no it's not it's, it is, it's not deep and it's not dark but it's it's thoroughly enjoyable and oh, wow, okay. it's, it warrants a repeat listen uh, but this film doesn't. Um, it is still vapid, and it does the the best it can within the framework that has been set. I think uh, me and Robbie spoke the other day. We'd love to know at what point sort of like the Weinstein's came on. And hmm. no, I mean, if you were to do this with a new, di- a different director, without and without the in- with the intention of merely just making a comedy with these great actors, it could have been so much more. And that's almost what hurts. And there were so many. Like we said, these contrasts and these these familiar genre cliches that just crop up and just make you that were just forever hitting it back home. What this isn't, even though it it like you say got over the line, it it's enough there. But it just the fact that you keep coming back and you go, we're here already, we're there again. I haven't learned anything because it's always in the back of your mind what sort of the way it's going to go. Um, and you know, lots of overuse of like sort of musical cues sort of trying to force force some emotion but um no i i I couldn't give it i couldn't possibly give it less than a three because it's i i enjoyed the hundred minutes i there was no time where i was bored and going oh this is a real drag there were moments where i did hit my forehead with my palm and went that's ludicrous that's Annoying, but then there's a joke 30 seconds later that picks it straight back up again. So, yeah, for something you enjoyed for the entire time, yeah, three three from me. It's fun, which I was, which yeah. I wasn't. I mean, it, you look at the post and you can tell it's going to be that kind of cheery film. Yeah, but I didn't expect it to be as as funny as it was. I'd give this film a four, I think. And the final film this week. I've chosen David Lynch's Elephant Man, or The Elephant Man, which is, I'm not entirely sure if everything that happens is a true story, but it is based on a real, a real guy called Joseph Merrick, who is basically born with terrible, unbelievable deformity tumours all over, and I think he's only 21 in the film, um, and he's picked up from it in a very bad situation. He was uh, being paraded at a freak show, he is then picked up by this doctor who takes him under his wing and tries to make a better life for him uh, living in this hospital. Knowing that this was directed by David Lynch, and obviously it's only his second film, but I think a lot of us had seen some of his later films first. Well, I've only seen uh, Twin Peaks, subsequent film, and Blue Velvet. Oh, wow. So I hadn't, haven't seen Eraserhead and Mulholland Drive, two yeah. which don't really, as far as I'm aware, make a lot of sense in terms of storyline very surreal just all about imagery and yeah yeah so this didn't really surprise me to to put in a david lynch pun there it's a straight story it's he's he's done this a couple of times where he has made studio films that have strayed away from what i think we gather as fans of what he his true voice or what he's trying to do but i think this was just an opportunity your, your first film cost ex- like a few thousand pounds and then to get, or a few thousand dollars, and to get given this opportunity to get to work with big stars, to work with a decent budget, I think, and it, it certainly elevated his career and got him to the point that probably allowed him to get the budgets for his later projects yeah. as well. As a film, 
I, I, to be honest, I think it's a bad idea starting with me because I, I don't feel like I have that much to say on it. It's, it's a weird one. You do go through a journey with John Merrick, and you do, you do get the, the sort of outsider's perspective on, on what he's going through. And there are those moments when he is alone in his bedroom, and you kind of get a, a sort of insight into what he might have gone through. But I didn't, didn't ever feel emotionally attached to either of them. I didn't ever feel like I, I, I really, I was really interested by it. I was more interested by the deformity than their story. <laughs> Just uh, looking at the poor guy's head, like the guys in the freak show. Yeah. Once, once you've seen it, though, it's. You sort of go, oh, okay, and then every so often they'll just bring new people in and go, oh, isn't it terrible? And I mean, it was 1980; it was released, I think. Yes, but it's but still in black and white. Still in black and white, which was probably Lynch putting his foot down, I imagine. Um, but yeah, there's just, it's just, it is. I totally agree with you. I don't really have any strong feelings either way. I think it's just, it was. I, I'm not. It'd be very interesting to know because it was Mel Brooks, I think, who signed him on as director and. I think I read today took his name off because he was associated with some of the great comedies of the time and didn't want people to get the idea but when you watch it back you sort of get the impression that he's been totally reined in mm. and has just been told I think it's the book ending uh, scenes uh, with elephants that just sort of they're a little bit surreal and there's one scene an hour I think halfway through where they've gone go on you can have your minute and a half where he has a very classic Lynch, Lynchian sort of surreal sequence and aside from that it's it's just a very straight well acted but it's just a very straight drama that almost doesn't really doesn't really go anywhere for me do you have no, any? even even the um <clears throat> the famous line at the end you know i'm i'm a human being yeah uh, just didn't really feel very powerful to me didn't no didn't hit home at all no i'm just not sure what the fuss is about yeah yeah, and, and I think I know we we exchanged a couple of texts over during this week about um, a Roger Ebert quote, and you know, I hesitate to, to talk about other other critics, um, <laughs> but he, he says, you know, I I just didn't really know what this film was trying to make me feel, and I think you two have clearly almost gone down that road already, and I would like to echo that as well. That I mean, obviously you felt you felt sorry for him, but that was about it. Like, I know you said you didn't really feel too much about him, but you know, there's bits where he's he is essentially paraded around. Obviously, there's that scene, quite a pivotal scene towards the, the middle where people break in and they literally parade him around like the circus freak that he has always been considered. And 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 that's when you really think, crikey, you know, he it must have been a horrible experience for him, other than the pain that he's probably going through every day. But in terms of the humiliation. Um, and that sort of self-consciousness I imagine that must have been See I, I do kind of disagree with you in terms of I do feel like there is a bit of a message although there is quite a strong there's message strong, There's strong moral messages absolutely he, he is, Yeah it is about acceptance and it is about the elephant man himself trying to get through life especially towards the end wanting to be what he calls normal and mm. you know not have this disability and I, th- I, think, it, I think it does tackle it well it just doesn't just doesn't really. It's too basic for me. It yeah, did, that's the perfect word. It's basic. It, like my, I think I after uh, speaking to my sister and she said that oh uh, that we're reviewing this film and she said oh yeah, I think we watched it in in GCSE and then it struck me this is it does feel like a a GCSE exercise in in empathy like I think you would show kids especially in secondary school all oh, right just so you know this is this is you should feel for this person the film piles it on and of course like anyone with a sane mind who isn't a sociopath is obviously going to feel 
he's obviously been through a tough time. He was mistreated, whether that's a result of obviously atti- ignorant attitudes of the time. Um, the work It's many of the working classes, I think, who were going to the freak show and that were mm-hmm. piling in his room. And it's this kind of what we don't know, we don't understand, and therefore it's it's foreign and we don't know. Oh, it's ghastly. And it's, but it's, it's very, yeah, it's just very straightforward. There doesn't seem to be anything. If that's the only message, then it doesn't seem to be. But is that all they intended? It, I don't know where else you can go with the story. Like it just. I think there is some pretty, you know, alarming social commentary, or you know, messages within here. I was going to say hidden, but they're not hidden really at all, are they? I mean, they, you know, you know, treat others the way you'd like to be treated yourself, and, and make sure you're accepting of other people regardless of what. What their you know their physical attributes are, whatever whatever different types of individual that you come across, you know, you should accept them. So as you said there, you know, learning how to interact with other people is is a good life lesson to have. <laughs> but when you look at it from a film, again, and I know it's a true story, but you do it does have sort of this working class setting, and yet it just happens to be this affluent doctor who is able to save this. You know, pull them out of the, the work, uh, the mire. Exactly, being yeah. beaten about. So it's the, it's the aristocracy who who accept him again, and then there's also this theme throughout it that, and I, I touched upon this when we were talking about notes on blindness, where in in, in Elephant Man and to some extent in Touchables as well, it's it's the able-bodied person that suddenly brings this monster to justice into <laughs> and into the normality of, of of the classes and into society itself. And I always think, yes, it's a true story, but again, what is that progressing for? disabled people basically you have to have someone able-bodied to come and drag you out of the 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 period of self-pity and whatever it is that you may well be in kind of thing and i was that's a bit it's again i'm probably being too pedantic because you've already said it's such a basic story but for me i that always does feel a little bit uncomfortable with me but it is victorian and and i think i i don't think you can linger on i totally agree when you say that but often when you watch certain films and you go oh that message that isn't doesn't quite right sit with me it's not like a very modern mm. sort of contemporary view, but for what it for what it is, and I, I'm sure the people, the English people in 1980 would have been able, had he been around then, to have gone, oh, this isn't right. This, but I think it's just this Victorian. And again, I'm not entirely sure how much of what actually happened yeah, is I, true. I haven't looked up the, the story. I mean, he, since well, he know he existed, and I think he he definitely was uh, paraded around at some point yeah. in his life in in freak shows, but. Yeah, and I think it's just sets up. It's just it does have like very much like the Untouchables, uh, very sort of very overly sentimental scenes, which just come with the territory. But whether you're watching these these films now or at the time, it still sort of feels. It's, I think you know what you're getting yourself in for, but it just doesn't feel. It just doesn't add anything, and it just feels a bit a bit worthless, a bit bit too much, spreading it on a bit thick. I don't know, I just assumed that this film was going to be amazing. I don't know why, maybe because it's got a bit of a legacy and it's got a bit of a history, and maybe because I've listened to the Ricky Gervais podcast and Carl Pilkinson says it's his favourite film of all time, I don't yeah. know, but <laughs> uh, maybe that one, I mean, maybe I should, the alarm bell, the alarm bells were ringing already at that point, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know, I just, I, for some reason in my mind, I've got this as a classic. I, I thought it was going to be an absolute classic. I did, yeah. But it is hailed as one. Yeah, and, I I, think that... and, and maybe it's one of those things that when you watch it, you know, 30, 40 years after it was done, um, you don't quite get the nuances of maybe what it was going for back then or just how innovative it was. But certainly retrospectively looking back at it, watching this for the first time and having never seen any other David Lynch film or Twin Peaks, I haven't seen any TV You've not seen a single? Not seen, never seen a wow. David Lynch film, I don't think, anyway. Um, so this is my first. And to me, there was nothing 
recognized you know with directors they have you know traits that you can see through their work and I I know what lynches are just from other people telling me and and from understanding that and other than the elephant stuff sort of that weird ambiguous stuff around the elephants and, 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 and in what respect they had an impact on him and or his mother I suppose yeah. and all of that sort of surreal dreamlike sequences um, that's the only thing that I could really see which was some sort of style um, and other than that I thought this was just a very mediocre down the middle kind of film it, and I, I was surprised how just bland it was I, yeah it's definitely not for as far as introductions to David Lynch go it's probably the worst introduction virtually you could have because it's it's other, I say other than that one moment where I think there's some as heads coming through an alley and it's sort of the sound gets all very distorted and he's he is the master certainly the oh no he is probably the all time of mixing the surreal and sort of getting a thick blend of dark themes I mean thematically you look at the Elephant Man you think oh this could be prime for David Lynch even at that early in his career and especially if mm. he was to be offered the project now you go there's probably no one better who could bring these the physically grotesque and really hit it home in such a in a unique way but yeah, I just think it's yeah, it's just very standard, and it doesn't give him enough because then his subsequent films have just got so much more depth, and they're just so much more interesting to watch. I mean, the photography is nice; the black and white photography does work. And I think for this story, it it it's probably a good choice. Certainly makes things seem a little bit darker, <laughs> and you know, adds a little bit more emotion, perhaps. But it's. Yeah, it's just, it's just. I think, like you said, it, it tells the story well, and it's got some standout performances. I don't think anyone could ever say it's a bad film. No, I think it's, it's got a good story, and it, it does what it does well. But I think it's just that whole expectations thing again. I wanted more from it, and I didn't get it. And I think I'm just more disappointed than I am, rather than it being a bad film. Yeah, that those are my grievances. Sorry, I agree with that. I thought it was going to be a, a classic, but it, it wasn't. It was, as, as I think we've all said. It, it was pretty standard so for me it'd be a three middle of the road three yeah same for me again I'd have to give it a three I mean a very different film to The Untouchables but it's not it's it's it's, it's the craftsmanship is substantially there great, far greater than in the way it's put together and the leading performances as some of its parts it's, it's a it's a it's a greater film but would I think that it's worth any more it really added any value these the five star films you think oh you come away and you go that's affected me and that's added value or that's done something so profound that's just so it's moving and this just isn't that and yeah just have yeah, the sorry I should have said before as well and you've both said it now but the performances for me I don't think I've really seen Anthony Hopkins in anything anything other than oh god what, um, Hannibal Science no of Science the of the Lambs sorry yeah. yeah but playing Hannibal yeah yeah um, and for me this was he was brilliant at this, like to the point where you you realise what all the fuss was about in terms of as a leading man. You know, he can he can do it, kind of thing. I mean, John Hurt is obviously again he's always going to get the plaudits playing that kind of role. But, but the, is the mask? Does he do that much acting behind the mask? I don't know, but you do There's so much makeup. But you know, I agree. And <laughs> I think I'm it not sure whether it's his, it's his acting or. But I still I still felt for him, and you sort of you see his mannerisms and and the way he he shapes himself. You almost think this guy's just rotten with self-doubt and, and sort of um, yeah. introversion so I suppose that maybe is, is where plaudits are due but yeah for me Anthony Hawkins is great in this it's bare bones Lynch it's three stars and on the next edition uh, edition number 11 of Straight Jack we will have the much anticipated film from Nicholas mm. Winding Refn 
the neon demon. Another Scott. Yeah. With, <laughs> uh, with the theme, I think, what did we decide in the end? Sort of uh, female groups, female cliques. Yeah. Who's got the post-2000? Post-2000 is me, going for the only a couple of years ago, if not last year. Last year, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and my choice is going to be Heather's this Ooh. week. What? Heather's. As in Heather with an S on the end. Heather's, because there's more. there are four of them. Of course they're bloody. Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. <laughs> Christian Great choice. Slater. Three fives, fantastic. 